News Talk ZB and the New Zealand Herald present Cooking the Books with Francis Cook, demystifying your finances. Hi, I'm Francis Cook. Welcome to the show. Hope is on the horizon for those who want to buy a house. The recent quotable value house price index for July found that prices have stagnated and investor activity has dropped off. That's left a window of opportunity for first home buyers. Homes officially considered affordable, that's those under $650,000, are being snapped up at a great rate of knots. There's also the Kiwi Build program getting underway. It'll need to be tested in the real world before we can be sure if it works or not, but there has been tens of thousands of people sign up so far, many in Auckland and Wellington. So there's a mood of hope in the air for those who were previously worried they'd be forever locked out from buying their own home. But if everything goes well and people find a home they can afford, that's just the beginning. You'll have to keep paying it off through your mortgage. And if you get that wrong, you might just find yourself homeless once again. So negotiating your mortgage is crucial. But how? News Talk ZB presents Cooking the Books with Francis Cook, boosting your business confidence. I'm joined now by Rupert Goff, CEO for Mortgage Lab. Now, something that crops up really often and usually as a side note when we're talking housing on the podcast is this throwaway comment of, oh, don't forget to negotiate your mortgage rate with your bank. And it's occurred to me since that it's all well and good to say, hey, you can negotiate your mortgage rate, but actually how and what is up for negotiation? What is actually on the table when you go to talk to your bank? There are two categories of uh, negotiators with the banks. One, one might be a purchaser, and the other one would be someone who's refixing their mortgage. So a purchaser is uh, obviously introducing new debt to the bank, whereas someone who's refixing is is extending existing debt. A purchaser will be negotiating two aspects, uh, the cash contribution from the bank to cover legal fees, etc., and the actual interest rate itself. And if they push too hard on one side... Uh, the other side will be affected. So that's to say that if you negotiate a higher cash contribution, the bank will often compensate by increasing the interest rate. And it, it might only be sort of 0.1%, but that's enough to cover their their hit on the cash contribution. Uh, whereas an existing client is um, typically only negotiating for interest rates and, and their power is the threat that if the right rate isn't offered, they can refinance to another bank. And sometimes that's a lie, but it, uh, it might not even be possible. But it's it's often the one thing a client can hold over the bank. Interesting. And yeah, what you mentioned there about the, the different interest rates, because I was advised at one point to have part of my mortgage floating so that I could make extra contributions. But of course, like you say, the floating rate is a slightly higher interest rate. So that's how they build it in. Yeah, so the the floating rate is probably the most negotiable term. You often get 0.5, 0.6, sometimes 0.8 or high, 0.8% higher um, off this term, but it's 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 already an expensive rate, so you probably wouldn't have a large percentage of your mortgage on that type of rate. Uh, it, it typically sits around sort of 5.5 to 5.8 at the moment, so you'd only have a small portion, but the, 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 the bulk share of your mortgage would be on a fixed rate, I'd, I'd say. Right. So when you're going in, basically what you can talk to your bank about, you say, you know, I want to buy a house or I want to refix. The biggest thing that's going to be on your mind is the interest rate and what you're going for. 
Is there anything else that the bank might bring up or that you should consider bringing up sort of sweeteners or anything that might be on the table? Uh, occasionally the banks will offer some sort of um, a gift. Maybe it might be a TV uh, in response to fixing for a certain period. Uh, it, it's been my experience that these gifts typically come with a restriction of how you can negotiate the terms. Mm. And so you, you may only be able to negotiate, say, 0.1% off the of this um, rate. So uh, often these uh, specific objects aren't, aren't the best way to go. It, it typically ends up be better that if you negotiate the interest rate, you end up coming better off. I had one client who um, was going to receive a TV from a bank and uh, it was a it was a 42-inch TV. It was probably $1,000. And the additional interest rate deductions that we got when we declined the TV was added up to about $6,000 over three years. So oh, wow. it would Which have been a very expensive a... 42-inch TV, yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's worth running the sums. Okay, so if you are going into these negotiations, does it change whether you're someone like a first home buyer versus someone who is maybe selling and buying, so upgrading their house, or even if you are a property investor with a few properties, does it matter how much leverage you have? It's not so much about how many houses you have or how many you've bought. The main factors behind the deal are how much do you owe and what LVR are you at? And by LVR, I mean what, what percentage of the, of the value of your property or properties are, are mortgaged. So any any buyer borrowing over 80% of their property value is in a difficult negotiating position. There are high risks to the banks and are unlikely to get the really amazing interest rates that you see advertised or hear about at the neighbor's barbecue or whatever. But once you're below that 80% mark, you're going to get some really good rates. And at that point, the more you owe, the better these rates are going to be. It sounds it sounds callous, but simply put, the, the banks make more money from a $1 million loan than a $100,000 loan, so they're willing to cut their rate a, a little bit more. Uh, and again, we're probably only talking about 0.1% difference, but, but volume is a key driver for these better rates. And uh, anecdotally, you seem to get the strongest position once you owe about $600,000 or more. And I'm assuming if you, you're below the... 80% mark. Right. So in putting that the other way, in terms of if you have a 20% or more deposit, but quite a bit of debt there, the bank's going to look at you and go, ooh, excellent. Yes. And maybe work with you a bit more. Yeah. yeah. And just while we're thinking about that, you, you used to see in the older days, uh, I don't see it so much anymore, but investors used to spread their mortgages around a, a number of banks and you'd hear about the one bank trap sort of strategy, as it was called. Uh, and, it, and it's fine, it's got its place as a strategy, but uh, if you only have sort of $700,000 mortgage and you split that between two banks, you're only giving them $350,000 each, and it's probable that you might have got better interest rates by staying with one bank. So so my suggestion is that, and this is only a rough guide, of course, but is to give the first bank up to about a million dollars of lending and then begin to consider other banks. And you'll be a preferred bank at that first, uh, preferred, preferred client at that first bank, and uh, you'll get those top-tier rates, but you can still diversify into other banks later. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, and the other thing is uh, it, I find it difficult, and I think this is a really common thing. New Zealand is a little conflict-averse, and so when you come to these sorts of negotiations, it's hard to know how hard to push and when you're getting a good deal. So what are some good ways to go about this negotiation um, what are some good rates? How can you feel confident about where you end up? Yeah, obviously, I would say the best way to negotiate a deal, a deal is to, to 
go to a mortgage advisor and uh, we'll do it for you, but uh, I would say that. Re- realistically, the first thing to do is to be a good client for the, for the bank. So this doesn't mean getting all their products necessarily, but at least put your salary into an account at the same bank. And if you are what they what the banks term a main bank client, in other words, they, they are your main bank, uh, they'll probably offer you slightly better rates. You've shown them loyalty and they'll they'll be more readily, readily uh, you know, cut you a deal. Um, secondly, someone who's uh, constantly in mortgage arrears or has been in mortgage arrears is unlikely to get the best deal either. Um, so making sure your payments are on time uh, is, is a great way to be able to negotiate um, further. Um, but in terms of feeling confident about um, where you end up, the discussion my advisors have with their clients about mortgage structure can often sort of last half an hour or more. And, and, and the, the best outcome is one where you know you've got a, a good deal rate-wise and you understand the reasons why your mortgage is structured that way. Uh, so I encourage everyone to um, who is fixing their mortgage to note down why they structured it that way, uh, why they did it, and what was their goal. Was it to pay down the mortgage quickly or were you expecting a major life event in a year or so? Or were you expecting a baby, for instance? Uh, and that way in a year's time you'll be able to refix, keeping that same plan in mind and you can go forward confidently with the same strategy all the time. It's interesting what you mentioned there about if you've got a good track record with them and uh, if you've been in arrears, which, yeah, the bank's not going to super love you if you've been doing that. Um, But also when I was first looking at buying my first house, and I say this every time and I will say it again, I'm well aware I'm very lucky to be a millennial who owns a home. (laughs) I know. I live outside of Auckland, lucky me. But I got warned by a friend that the bank would look at my past purchase history and, and things like if you slip into overdraft regularly um, or if you have a bad history with just everyday debt. Now, is that true or urban myth? Yeah, no, that's true. So uh, as part of the application, we uh, hand over three months worth of bank statements and they will definitely look at whether you are managing your uh, money correctly. Uh, a lot of uh, the actual application itself revolves around that. So uh, if you are maybe consistently going past your overdraft, you, you may not actually get the mortgage rather than even get into the negotiation stage. But uh, that is definitely true. And also these days on your credit report, it shows um, not only your credit cards and your debts, et cetera, but also your utility bills and, and how often you pay those. So you'll see a string of zeros if you uh, regularly pay your utility bill on time. And if you're a month late, then it'll it'll say one on it. So they're, they're looking at all of those debts. Now that probably isn't too um, too much about the negotiation of the interest rate. It's more uh, being a great client and, and getting accepted at the bank with the mortgage. Right. It strikes me that a lot of this advice is a little tricky for the first home buyers and those who are just trying to get that first step on the ladder. And, you know, it's, it's, you can say have a 20% deposit and, you know, the bank's going to love you if you owe more, but that's unlikely to be a first home buyer for for many people. So is it tricky when you're going into this situation for the first time, maybe not in the most premium financial position? Are there any tricks to get through that? Yeah, there's a, there, there are two ways that the banks um, charge for you're, you're talking about if they have less than 20% deposit, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and negotiating that. There are two ways that the banks charge that. One one way is that they charge a one-off fee, and then they just give you the advertised sort of full rates. Uh, the other way is that they um, 
they charge an interest rate with a premium on top. Uh, so it might be half a percent or 0.25 or 0.75, depending on how close to the sort of 90% borrowing bracket that you are. And, and making a decision about which bank you go to based on how they charge it and, and what that future looks like is, is really important and can be sort of um, tens of thousands of thousands of dollars of difference. So if you are um, not going to be able to pay down your mortgage really quickly, you're not going to get below that 80% mark, a bank that has a premium on the interest rate is probably not the best decision for you because you can have that premium as long as you are over 80% borrowing. So you might choose a, a bank that has a one-off fee. Uh, now, it's always hard to tell. In, in the early days of uh, Auckland, you bought a house and then uh, sort of two weeks later it was up by 20% and, and everything was fine. But maybe those days are a little, a little further away now. And so uh, you have to make a, a, a solid guess about how your, how your house is going to look in a, in a year or so and, and make a decision around that. You haven't got much negotiation room uh, there, um, unfortunately. That's, that's the standard all the banks have taken uh, just because of the heightened risk with the lower deposit. So I've recently written a book. It's called The Successful First Home Buyer. And in it, I talk about basically how to talk to the banks about your structure. And it's very clear that obviously the first thing is to be prepared, right? So if, you, if you're paying your bills on time, you've got your automatic payments sorted, then you're presenting to the bank as a really strong client. And, and secondly, when it comes to negotiation, a lot of my first home buyers use a gift from the parents or a loan from the parents to get to that 20%. Obviously, that can save them significant amounts of interest. If they can't do that, then presenting themselves as the perfect client is the way to go to get to get happy with the bank, essentially. Yes, it is, of course, a lot easier if you have some of those family resources behind you. But there are still ways. It's just a bit harder, but there are still Absolutely. ways. Um, so, yeah, there's a bit of rumbling about... <laughs> interest rates and they might go up soon. So for starters, I mean, people probably shouldn't go to the absolute limit of what they can afford as a general rule, because if interest rates go up, then you're going to need to eventually pay more. You've got to factor that in. But along the lines of, you know, there's the smell of change in the air on interest rates. Nobody knows for sure what's going to happen until it has happened. How long do you think people should be fixing for at the moment? Is there a sweet spot? Yeah, you're right. It would be very dangerous to pick a pick an exact date, but um, obviously, I would say most economists are picking late 2019 for the official cash rate, cash rate to begin increasing, um, which will obviously start to drive mortgage rates up. There doesn't seem to be any inflationary danger in the near term, so the only reason interest rates would move sooner would be if something happened overseas that caused inter international concern. Now that that's possible with the state of the US and Europe at the moment, um, but we're pretty sheltered. So at this point, late late 2019 is just over a year away, but not by much. So rates should stay fairly flat for at least one year, although picking a two-year rate at the moment would mean that any price rise in 2019 isn't an issue. Now, a, a good example of um, we so, – so, so one year is, is the cheapest, two years is a good option, but – as a good example, I'm a self-employed person. My income fluctuates, so I actually choose to pay a little bit more. I, I choose three years typically. Um, I want the comfort that my interest rate isn't going to fluctuate at all. So the really important thing to take away is that you have to think about your specific scenario and what's happening in your life in the next year or so. One year is typically the cheapest, and anyone who is self-employed, exactly the same scenario as me, uh, who chose one year, wouldn't be wrong. They'd just be choosing it for their own reasons. 
Um, typically, though, at the moment, my clients are doing a mix of one year and two year split their mortgage. Interesting. And yes, it, it is always worth remembering that your situation will always be different. And this is why it's good to think about these things long and hard. But you can split your mortgage up. I mean, for my mortgage, I split it into three different parts. And that's worked out really well for us. There's all sorts of options, isn't there? Yeah, I, I get a mix of feedback on three uh, accounts, actually. Some people find it unnecessarily uh, um, complicated, but uh, I, I quite like the three three account split as well. <laughs> Excellent. Stamp of yes. approval. I'll take well that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much. That's Rupert Goff from Mortgage Lab. Now, if you have a question about this topic or anything else money-related, do get in touch. I'll turn it into a podcast for the future. You can find me on Facebook at Francis Cook Journalist, Twitter at Francis Cook, and Instagram at Francis Cook NZ. Send me your questions. I shall do my best to find some answers. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode on Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. And until next time, have a great day. And that's Francis cooking up your business confidence for another week on News Talk ZB.